Most of my success comes from... So the big question is, what are top agents doing to absolutely crush it in real estate? To get the answers, we interview the top real estate agents to learn their secrets to success. If you would like one-on-one access to over 26 of the top agents in the country to help you scale your business, then head over to EliteAgentSecrets.com slash partner, or you can just click the link in the description below. My name is Andrew Dunn. And my name is Peter Michael. Welcome to Elite Agent Secrets. Hey guys, what's happening? Uh, Welcome to another episode of Elite Agent Secrets. Today I am joined by none other than Amanda Bell, who is ranked as one of the top 250 realtors by Wall Street Journal for the last six years in a row. She's a privately owned broker and has her own brokerage of about 28 agents. Last year, she was ranked as number two sales agent in transactions in Tennessee alone. And to top it all off, she's right next to Nashville in a small rural town of Middleton, Tennessee. So Amanda, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Today's going to be a fun one because we're going to be covering three distinct topics that are going to be defining your um, customers, long-term and short-term. Topic number two is going to be manifestation and which type are you. And topic number three is going to be are you a product or a service. But before we dive in, we need to give the audience a little bit of context of how you started, what your first year looked like, and how did you become the number two agent by transactions last year in Tennessee? Because I'm sure it wasn't an overnight success, was it? No, it wasn't. Um So my story is a little different than a lot of realtors. I always say that I didn't choose real estate. It chose me. That's going to be a great story the way you started off. Yeah. (laughs) So um, when I was in college, I waited tables and I had two customers that worked for a local brokerage up there. And they tried to get me to come to work for them as a realtor. And I said, yeah, I don't I don't want to do that. I don't want to work nights, weekends, and holidays. That's that's not what I want to do. So I just kind of bypassed it. <clears throat> and I won't tell you how many years ago that was. But fast forward a couple years after that. And um, the man that I was married to at the time, we had just built a house. And he was in construction. And he and I decided that we were going to build and sell spec houses. So I was getting my real estate license. And... He was supposed to get his contractor's license and life happened. And three or four months after I got my real estate license, um, we ended up divorcing. So what was supposed to be part time, you know, selling the houses that we built became a necessity. And I was working another full time job doing real estate full time. And then I lost that job. And real estate became even bigger necessity. And now I own my own company. Wow. So So let me ask you this. How did you manage two full-time jobs at the time when you were just getting your real estate career going? So I started um, my other job. I worked 7.30 to 4.30. I would leave there, come straight to the office that I worked at there. And I would work usually like five to nine you know, waiting for the phone to ring, waiting for people to walk through the door. And of course, not that internet leads were not prominent then because people were still using Zillow's and stuff like that. But we still had a lot of walk-ins and people that would just call the office looking for a realtor. 
Um, so I would go and just sit and wait. Um, I would work weekends. I would work holidays, just sit there at the office, wait for people to come. Um, I say that real estate's a lot like being a politician. You know, if there was a parade, if there was a community event, I even remember there was, we have a duck blind drawing for duck hunters where they come in and there's like a thousand of them. They come in and they're just hoping to get drawn for a duck blind. And I would set up a booth there and just have land listings. So anything that I could be at, I just sat there and got out in the public and met people and just really tried to get a presence out there at that point. But, you know, every minute of every day was filled with both jobs until I got to the point of doing real estate full time. Wow, that's amazing. See, a lot of people, when they start out, they jump into real estate full time, not having something. So I think, do you think that you having that full time plus real estate on top of it made the transition easier that when you lost your job, it was just like, okay, I'm finally ready? Or were you still like, I don't know if I made the right move here by sticking with real estate? Um, It was scary. There's no doubt about it. But I think it was a different time then. Um, The market wasn't as fast paced as it is now. And there was a little more flexibility with people's schedules. People didn't work from home at that point. A lot of them still went into the office. So my available schedule matched a lot of their available schedules. And so it was a different time then. And you were able to work, you know, just nights, weekends and holidays and not have to be in, you know, transition showings and stuff during the day. But now with people having more flexible schedules, um, you know, we're not a nine to five society here anymore. We are 24 hours a day, seven days a week and different people are working different schedules. They have more flexibility because they're working from home. And so it's tougher to be a part-time agent now than it was before. And I'll tell you another thing, too, is people do not realize the importance of having a good realtor. Um, And you're easily replaceable in this business. So if you're not available when people need you, they will move on to the next one. Um, It's a cold, hard reality, but it is the truth in this business. I put out a Facebook post couple of years ago. And I said, if you could have the best, but you just couldn't have them right this minute, are you willing to wait for them? And so in my poll, in my question, it was financial advisor, CPA, realtor, doctor, and attorney. So the majority of the people were willing to wait for the doctor and the attorney, but they weren't willing to wait for anything that was related to financing, which was very eye-opening, for lack of better terms, because people do not correlate your financial health with anything else, physical, mental, legal, etc. There's a lot of law that goes into real estate, but there's not that mental connection between the two. So it's like, yes, I want the best doctor and I want the best attorney, But when it comes to money, I'll just take what I can get as long as I can have it right now. So that's the society that we live in. So it makes it very difficult to be a part-time realtor and be as successful as you want to be. You know, I, I find that so interesting that the financial planner or the realtor where the people weren't willing to wait for them. 
but the doctor and the attorney, they were. So it just kind of makes me draw the conclusion that when there's pain perceived on the other side, people will wait. But there's if there's no immediate pain to be, you know, had on the other side, they won't. Right. right. When they're buying a house, there's nothing painful until they realize that they just fucked up and made one of the biggest this financial disastrous decisions by by buying the wrong house because they just wanted to go and look at the house as opposed right. to like if they're a cancer patient they are willing to wait for the best cancer doctor because mm-hmm. they know that they're going to die mm-hmm. or there's some kind of an extreme outcome if they don't go to the best person same same thing with like an attorney right like if you, if if you're getting some criminal felony charges you want them to get you out of trouble which right. is a direct association to pain as well because the outcome that you're seeking right but even financial planning it's because i guess it's not an immediate pain we look at it as a pain down the road. Mm-hmm. People don't realize that if you have the wrong financial planner, you're not hurting right now, but you are hurting when you go and you retire, which is 30, 40, 50, 60 years for some of our listeners down the line. Right. We're Absolutely. not thinking long term. And I, I think, uh, Amanda, part of what you're saying is really that we have shifted into the instant gratification society. Absolutely. You know, before we used to work nine to five, clocked in, clocked out. And then after work, you you had the ability to go meet him. Now, for the last few months, if you didn't go and look at the property right away, oh, shit, SOL, you weren't getting that property. So, like, the property was going live. You better be over there in the next hour, even if it's available, because somebody's probably put a sign on scene offer. At least that's how it was in my market, right? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, the term Pop-Tart Realtor came about. You know, a, a property pops up, you got to go. You got to get up. You got to go. Like you got to be there. Pop tart <laughs> realtor. Yeah, you, you got to go. Um, and it, it it was hard, you know, and there was a really a big misconception for a lot of people that realtors were just making money hand over fist. Hey, I just wanted to jump in here and let you know, if you would like access to over 26 of the top agents in the country to help you scale your business, then head over to eliteagentsecrets.com slash partner, or you can just click the link in the description below. Now back to the show. Oh my God, I can't tell you how many messages I got. Oh my God, real estate market's booming. You must be doing really well. Meanwhile, I'm showing the twice as many houses, writing three times as many offers, doing inspections, managing and fighting that we don't have to pay a 50 or 100K over ask or close an appraisal gap. But perception is reality, right? Right. I mean, we were working, I tell people five times as hard for the same amount of money, you know, and we were losing clients because our clients were getting frustrated. You know, it was our fault that they wrote six offers and they couldn't win any of them. And that's hard, you know. I I take a lot of my um, disappointments to heart. I mean, it's hard to disappoint a client, you know, and it's very frustrating. And to hear somebody get frustrated because they can't compete with the fast paced market, um, it's hard. You know, it's hard on your heart. If you're a good realtor, it's hard on your heart um, because it's not always all about the money for us. It's about helping people. I agree. I agree. And that kind of brings us nicely into topic number one, which is defining your customer's 
short-term versus long-term, or the way you put it, long-term versus short-term. Mm-hmm. So help us understand as we dive into topic one what that really means. Well, I think that for me, that most of my success comes from the fact that I look at my clients as short-term and long-term. I mean, mm-hmm. we look at investments that way and, and look at your client as an investment. You know, short term, the goal is to get them either sold out of the house that they're in or yeah. to purchase the house that they need. So short term my, is a commission, right? I mean, that's what we work for. We don't work for free. We, we want to get it paid a commission. But it's not just about making the sale and collecting the commission. It is doing the best that you can do to meet their goals and to keep them focused. I used to do um, a career day at one of the high schools and I would go in and I would say, if your client had three kids, would you sell them a two bedroom house? And of course there was always one or two that were like, yes. And I'm like, no, no, you wouldn't. You think yes, because that gets you a commission. But they're going to move into that house. And two months later, they're going to realize that that wasn't what they wanted to begin with. Correct. They needed a three or four bedroom house. So you have to help your clients stay focused and be able to say, hey, um, you've got three kids. Is this really what you want to do? Um, Or do you want to buy what you're looking for? Hold out for what you're looking for. And if you will do that, then it will keep your people um, coming back to you. You know, getting people what they need is not always getting people what they want. So you've got to help them. You know, I tell people, yes, you're pre-approved for X amount, but what's your comfort level? Like, I would rather you think about your comfort level now and what your payments are going to be now Instead of getting into the house and two months later being like, I can't afford this, you know, so I'm going to invest my time in you and to help you see the big picture down the road because you need to plan on staying there two or three years. So if you take that time and put their their lifestyle, their finances first, then they become long term investments. You know, I tell people. I'm not here to sell you a house. I'm here to advise you. I'm here to give you information to help you make a decision that's going to fit you the best. Because sometimes there is a lack of communication, like they they have these ulterior motives. And I don't mean that in a negative way. It's just they have an ulterior motive or something that they haven't shared with you that is important to them. And you've got to kind of try to, to network through that. So, yes, my short term goal is to sell or buy, depending on what they need, collect my commission, but I want to be a referral. I want you to be happy with what you've gotten. And I want you to be happy with the information that I've given you so that you're going to share that with someone else. You're going to say, hey, Amanda is the best. Amanda, you know, took us to see excellent amount of houses. She didn't pressure us to buy the first house. You know, she made us think about things. She asked us questions, you know, she told us, no, this isn't the house for you. Um, and just really help them with what their vision is so that they become a long-term investment. And they're giving back to me because they're giving me referrals. Or, you know, my very first client, um, his name was John Fry. He kept my first business card on his refrigerator 
and I sold him my house in 2003. Well, John got sick and he had to sell. And I think it was probably <coughs> 2018, 2019. Um, he called his son and he said, hey, I need to sell my house and I want Amanda Bell to sell it. And her card's on my refrigerator still. You know, my very first client ever. And that's when it really means a lot. You know, we can go out there and we can consistently drum up new business, which you should do. But your past clients are your best clients and your best source of referrals. And so if you look at them as an investment, then that's where it is. I'll never forget my very first big house. It was in 2006. Gas had just gone to $3 a gallon. I was supposed to go to camping that weekend in Kentucky. And these people were coming in from Virginia and they had $600,000 to spend. I drove back and forth camping with my friends to show them houses an hour and a half each way. We get under contract. We go to do our final walkthrough. And there was a piece of drywall cut out on the backside of the shower. So obviously they had had some shower issues. And when we had originally put the contract on the house, a piece of furniture was sitting there. So my clients were upset and it was like, they wanted $50 on a $600,000 house. They just wanted $50 from the seller to fix it. And she's like, no, I'm not doing it. Just not doing it. My clients were mad. They were willing to walk away. And I said, look, this is, this is the house that you want. This is the house of your dreams. You know, let me just give you $50. You know, I'm making a good commission. Let me just give you $50. And so I did. I gave them $50 to fix that drywall. You know, I mean, I didn't give it directly to them. I gave it to some contractor that they wanted to have it fixed. But it got them past the point of being mad. It got them what they wanted. It got them in the house they wanted. The seller got what she wanted and they were happy and they've referred me more business. So to these realtors that are like, I want a hundred percent of the commission that I'm due and I'm not willing to spend one penny on that. I've never understood that. Our code of ethics says that we will put the interest of our clients before our own. Now, do I want to work for free? Absolutely not. I want to get paid for what I work for. But if I have to spend $50 to get a piece of drywall fixed, look how much more money I've made. Yeah. So really what you're talking about, Amanda, is is a concept that's near and dear to my heart, too. It's like taking your client's real estate needs beyond the real estate transaction as well at the same time. Like how bizarre is it that they're willing to walk away from their dream home, dream home over 50 bucks. The seller's not willing to budge to buy. It just becomes a pissing match, but it just becomes a principal match at that point. So I've done this actually quite a lot of times where 50 bucks, I wish I was just contributing 50 bucks. I've spent thousands of dollars to get closings to the table, giving a thousand, two thousand, three thousand dollars, you know, of my hard earned commission to get the deal closed because otherwise wasn't going to be closing no matter what we did, no matter how much we put work into this thing, it wasn't going to close. Right. But then the other thing that you, that's very important that you're, that you're saying, Amanda is you mm-hmm. are an advisor to your clients, which Absolutely. is similar to my style, right? Mm-hmm. You told them the good, the bad, the ugly, so they can make an educated decision about their current 
and present situation and what the future situation will look like, mm-hmm. which is which is what I think it's so, so important when, especially in the last few months, probably in the last year or two, there's been so many fly-by-night cowboys and weekend warriors that got into real estate that are advising people on some of their biggest transactions of their life. They have no business doing. They don't know how to write a contract, put a deal together, yet alone sacrifice a little bit because they're not playing long-term. They're really just playing short-term and that commission breath stinks mm-hmm. from a mile away, right? But yeah. it goes back to the very first thing that you said is sometimes you have to wait for the best of the best, no matter what profession you're in. Real estate, it just so happened to be a little bit omitted in that sense, right? But I, I, I think I think you're right on. Short-term versus long-term. Short-term, yes, we want to make the commission. Long-term, we want to have a client for a lifetime. You want to be able to put your head down on the pillow, know that you've did everything, and you have no conscience of whatever the outcome is. I have told my clients, I've threatened them, but I will walk away from this deal if they will proceed just to know and, and, and give me a little email release form that if they decide to go with this property, they're doing so at their own risk because there are known issues mm-hmm. based on my professional experience that I've been flagging. Yeah, yeah. I, I did have a lady that was buying a house site unseen and it had a ton of issues, even the septic in the front yard. And I did have her sign something stating that I had told her not to buy that house. Yep. And I had told her everything that I saw. And if she proceeded and she bought it, that she would not hold me responsible because it was a money pit. And she, so she signed it. She signed the offer. The appraiser went out and the appraiser was like, "Mm, yeah, we're not going to loan on this. And so the whole deal fell through. But I did what I felt like that I I needed to do in order to protect myself at that point and to protect her too. Yes. And sometimes you have to, right? Because no matter what you're manifesting into your life or out of your life, which hits us nicely, I think, rolls us into topic two, which is very, very cryptic manifestation and which type are you? Thanks for listening to this episode. If you would like one-on-one access to over 26 of the top agents in the country to help you scale your business, then head over to EliteAgentSecrets.com partner, or you can just click the link in the description below. 